All right, how's everybody doing? Good to see you. Really glad that some people showed up this morning. I, I just really wasn't sure when I looked out the window and I was shoveling my, my car out of the driveway. I was just thinking, I really don't know if anybody is going to show up. But anyway, I'm glad that you're here. This might be record for our 11 o'clock. I don't know. Our 11 o'clock's been <laughs> sputtering. Um, but anyway, I'm Ben, and um, we're going to just look at the Christmas story, or part of it, this morning. We've been working our way through Luke and, and really breaking the Christmas story down and, and seeing, seeing it in, in its full detail. We haven't even gotten to Luke 2 yet, where, which is what is traditionally considered the Christmas story, uh, but I'm going to try and cover 40 verses this morning, so we'll, we'll be done by three, um, probably, no problem. Uh, but no, um, I am going to read the passage, it's, 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 it's long, so, um, so stick with me. If you have a Bible, we're in Luke 1 and verse 40 is where I'm going to start, and if you don't have a Bible, you can slip your hand up and we'll get one to you. Right now, Zach's got them in the back. Um, the, the verses will also be on the screen. And those are our gift to you. You can take that home if you like. Um, all right, so Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 40. All right. Let's see. It says... Or no, I'm going to start in verse 39, sorry. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I think that was kind of a a shot at Zechariah right there because Zechariah didn't believe. I think that maybe at that point she was kind of like rolling her eyes at her husband. Blessed is the one who actually believed that this was going to happen. Um, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But the mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Zechariah still couldn't speak uh, because of his unbelief. Uh, so they make signs to him. And, uh, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loose and he spoke, 
blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Wow, so a lot lot happened there. Um, But I'm going to really concentrate on on two main pieces of this kind of lengthy passage. I'm going to concentrate on Mary's song, her her song of worship, and Zechariah's prophecy. And we're going to see a few different things in there. But what, we, but, but what they're both doing is they're both worshiping. They're both overflowing with praise. And so my goal this morning for us is that, is that by the end of these next 40 minutes or so, that we would be overflowing with worship as well. That a, a reaction, that, that our reaction to these truths that we're going to look at would be worship. And this is the thing. Worship, is, it, it might be a word that we don't, that, the, that we don't commonly use in our everyday conversations at the grocery store or whatever. But worship just means to ascribe worth or to honor. And so, so by the end of this, I want us to be worshiping God. I want us to be honoring Him. I want us to be spilling over with worship. And this is the thing about worship. is Unless it is a natural response... Unless it is overflowing from our heart, then it isn't real worship. Jesus said that worship would be in spirit and in truth. Worship involves the affections, the heart. And and it's not something that is done just, you know, that's forced. Jesus had a problem with people who worshipped him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. So the goal... Is worship, And as we look at these things, we need to realize that these are truths that are worthy of stirring us up to worship. These are not things to look at and think about and, and just and have no, no response to it, no reaction to it whatsoever. But that these are some wonderful things to think about. So as we look at this, I, I, my hope is that our hearts will be prepared for a spontaneous Joyful, natural overflow of worship. Did you catch, um, in, in Mary's song, there she says this, this little phrase, His mercy is for those who fear Him. That's in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him. 
And some people will tell you, you know, this is, this is a different kind of fear. This isn't like a shaking in your boots kind of fear. This is a respect kind of a fear. Well, actually, the original language here, this word is phobeo. The word that, that we derive our English word phobia. And, and the definition of this word, fear, is actually to, to be terrified <laughs> or to take flight, to take off running. This is the kind of fear that Mary's talking about here. God's mercy is for those who fear him, who are terrified of him. Um, and so I, I just I find that really interesting. There's actually a few different times that the word fear is, is used in this passage. It says that when Zechariah's neighbors hear him, you know, his, his tongue is loosed and he, and, he, and he does this amazing prophecy. It says that they all feared because of that. Um, the Bible actually instructs us to fear God. It says that we shouldn't fear anything else. <laughs> actually, do not fear is one of the most common um, commands in Scripture. But it does say that we should fear God. And, and it says so pretty frequently. Deuteronomy 8, 6 is one example. It says, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Proverbs 1, 7 actually says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Like, if you don't get fear of God, you actually are building on a faulty foundation. Everything else is going to crumble. Fear of the Lord is actually the very beginning. It's the first piece of the puzzle when it comes to having real wisdom, having real knowledge. But why? Why should we fear God? Well, just before Mary says that God's mercy is for those who fear him, she attributes two characteristics to God. Verse 49. She calls God mighty and she calls him holy. So just from this passage, here are two reasons that I see that make God a God to be feared. Okay? First of all, God is holy. Uh, now, this, this word holy is in the Greek hagios. It means unique. It means, it means separate. It means perfect. It means moral purity. Okay, so God is holy. He is completely morally pure, perfect. He is unique. He is, he is different. He is totally other from us. God is holy. That's what we mean when we say God is holy. He is not like us. He is so other from us. He is so perfect. And, and because he is holy... He cannot allow evil or will not allow evil in his presence. This is a theme that we see all throughout the Bible. When Adam and Eve sin, he casts them out of the garden. When Cain sins, he removes him from his presence. It, we see this all throughout Scripture. And because of sin, we know, we talk about this a lot, because of sin, we're separated relationally from God. God cannot tolerate evil because he is holy. So this is one attribute that Mary brings up. God's holy. Holy is his name. Is what she's a, so in every, every aspect of his being is holy. And she says that God is mighty. He's mighty. 
Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God's power, his might is limitless. He can do absolutely anything he pleases. Absolutely anything. His power is limitless. He is mighty. He spoke and everything that is came to be. His his power is mind-blowing. So what are the implications of these two qualities existing within the same being? Well, God, being holy, will not tolerate evil in his presence. And God, being mighty, can do whatever he pleases. And we are born in sin. We are evil by nature. And so this makes God a God to be feared. And this is why it's this kind of fear, this trembling fear, right? This trembling fear. But the good news is that there is mercy for those who fear him. Mercy. Mercy is a is a word that comes up often in this passage. I would really encourage you to study this passage on your own. And see how many times the word mercy comes up in this. You know, it's a good thing that there is mercy. Because when we consider God's holiness, along with his might, we see that God is a God to be feared. But this brings me to my next important observation about this passage and that's that's that that we need to be humble before the Lord now both both Mary and Zechariah are are humble before God I I think Zechariah had to be humbled his unbelief um, caused the angel to to say well you you, you're not going to be able to speak for a while and I think that really humbled him but we see that after he's humbled his tongue is loose and he's overflowing with, with worship. If our goal is worship, then I think that, that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord as well. In our culture, pride has become a virtue, has it not? We, it, it's, it's seen as this great thing. But guys, pride is a sin. It's a sin. And, and the Bible is absolutely clear about this. That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so, so what we need to learn from this is that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. And Mary is a real example to us in the area of humility. She's not proud. She's not puffed up. I mean... Look at the way that she describes herself in this song. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She needs a Savior, which means she is a sinful person just like everyone else. She needs a Savior. And then she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So Mary is not proud. She's not puffed up. The fact that God chose her to be the mother of Jesus doesn't lead her to say, wow, I must really be something. This is, wow. You know, I knew I was, I knew I was pretty good, but I mean, I didn't know I was that good. That's not her reaction at all. You know, her reaction is, 
I mean, remember when she's having this told to her by Gabriel? We talked about it. Her reaction is like, okay, well, let it be done as you say. I am the Lord's servant. Not, you know, yeah, figures that he would choose me. (laughs) I have been doing pretty good. She's humble. And she says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's not saying, he's looked on the most humble person in the world. That's not humility. That's not what she's saying. She's, she's, what she's literally saying is, he's looked on this lowly servant girl. I can't believe that God is showing favor to this lowly servant girl. She's literally saying, I'm not worthy of this privilege. I'm not worthy of this privilege And no one would be. So she is humble. And and Mary's worship is a natural response to what God is doing because she recognizes her unworthiness. Don't we see that if she thought she was worthy of this privilege, she would not respond in worship? Worship comes out of humility. Wow, God, I am not worthy of what you've done for me. And that leads us to praise him, to worship him. The point is that we will not be led into real worship unless we humble ourselves before the Lord. And this, all this about fearing God, about trembling before him, and his mercy is for those who fear him, Unless we're humble, unless we humble ourselves before him, we won't fear him. You see, the bigger you see yourself, the smaller you will see God. One preacher said, it's like a teeter-totter. The smaller you see yourself, the bigger you will see God. But as long as you wrongfully see yourself as big, you will wrongfully see God as small. We are but dust, the Bible says. I mean, I mean, we are just created beings, sinful, undeserving. And when we see ourselves that way, we will see God as big. And we will see his mercies as undeserving. And we will overflow in worship. You cannot see God rightly until you see yourself rightly. It says in Proverbs 3, 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Notice how it's, it's like it's saying, if you see yourself as wise, you won't fear the Lord. But be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So humility needs to happen in order for us to rightly fear the Lord. So why, though, why is God's mercy for those who fear him? Why does that matter? Why is it that God's mercy is for those who fear him? It's because until we humble ourselves so that we're able to see God as holy and mighty, God to be feared, we're never going to turn to him to receive mercy. See, he opposes the proud. He stiff-arms the proud is is one way that I've heard that explained. He stiff-arms the proud, but he gives grace 
to those who realize they need grace, to the humble. Now, even though God is holy and mighty, even though he cannot tolerate evil, he has provided a way for us to receive mercy. And that is the good news. And it brings me to my third point. Once we've received mercy, we can actually serve God without fear. And that's what Zechariah said in his prophecy. So this is interesting. Mary says, God's mercy is for those who fear him. Zechariah says, we can now serve him without fear. So what's, what's the deal with that? If you look at verses 72 through 74, the Holy Spirit, through Zechariah, it says that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. We know the word of God is the words of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, through Zechariah, prophesies that God is going to show us mercy that was promised to Abraham in the Old Testament. And because of this mercy, we will be able to serve God without fear. That's verse 75. So what's, what's the deal with this? Is God a God to be feared or not? I mean, should we fear him or not? What's the deal? What, why does Mary say that his mercy is for those who fear him? And Zechariah says we can serve him without fear. Well, there are different kinds of fear. There are different kinds of fear. Now, let me explain what I mean. My, my son fears me in a good way. In a good way. Um, my middle son, he's working on it. We're getting there. My oldest son, though, he, he fears me in a very good way. If I say, Sam, now, then, then in a very good way, he responds. He fears me. Not the same way that an intruder would fear me if they were caught coming through my window. Now, I'm not a very intimidating guy, but I have a shotgun at arm's length under my bed. And so if, if I were to hear an intruder coming through the window, then I'm going to grab my shotgun and that intruder is going to come face to face with the barrel of my shotgun and my finger on the trigger. And if there was ever a time to be afraid of me, it would be right then. Because of all the ways that you could tick me off coming in my house where my wife and three kids are asleep, is like probably number one on the list. So that intruder needs to fear me, would fear me. And it's a different kind of fear than the way that my son fears me. It's a kind of fear that would hopefully cause this intruder to take flight. Right? To have a trembling fear because I'm offended I'm greatly offended that you are trying to come into my house where my family is sleeping I'm angry and rightfully so see apart from Christ we are like that intruder in our relationship to God our sin has greatly offended him. He's the king of kings, and we have committed high treason. 
And so we have a reason to fear his wrath, his anger, his wrath hangs over our head apart from Christ. We are like the intruder. We are the offending party. And so we have a reason to fear him like that. However, God has decided not to leave us in our rebellion. He has pursued us. And this is what we have been celebrating as we're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating that God didn't leave us in our rebellion, that he pursued us, came after us, chose to show us mercy, to give us an escape. And that's what he was doing when he sent his son, Jesus. And in verse 68, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God visiting and redeeming his people is what Christmas is all about. Him visiting and redeeming us. This word redeemed means to pay a ransom. To pay pay a ransom. So we, the offenders, are part of the rebellion that Satan started. The Bible makes it clear that we are born in sin. We are part of the kingdom of darkness. And there's no getting out apart from our ransom being paid. And that's what it means that Jesus redeemed us. See, we were slaves, unable to get ourselves free. So Jesus came, and at the cost of his life, he paid our ransom. His blood set us free. His death was our redemption. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And his new life is our new life. So we've been set free from our enemies. That's what Zechariah means when he says in verses 74 and 75, we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Without fear. And the way that my son comes to me not trembling, not afraid of my wrath. He fears me because he is afraid of my loving discipline. See the difference? And so we can come to God and serve him without fear of his wrath anymore because Jesus paid our ransom, set us free. He defeated our greatest enemy, sin and Satan and death. And so now we're adopted. Now God isn't the offended party. He, he's our Daddy, and he loves us, but as our daddy, he is still to be feared in the sense that, well, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't want him to discipline us. It says in Revelation, there's this verse that it says a voice came from the throne. I think it's Revelation 19. This, this voice came from the throne and It says, all you who fear the Lord, come and and worship him. So heaven is populated by people who fear God. So this this fear 
This kind of fear we, we still need to have. Does that, does that make sense? He- heaven is full of people who fear God rightly, but do not fear his wrath. It says that we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. And that's why we don't have to fear his wrath. He has made us holy because he's hidden us in Christ. And Jesus is holy. And Jesus' righteousness has become our righteousness. And so when he looks at us, he doesn't see our offenses against him. Those are paid for, cleansed. We are totally pardoned. So we can serve him without fear. So, finally... If, if we can serve him without fear, if we've been pardoned, if we've been redeemed, worship is the natural response to these mercies. Worship is our natural response. It should be the overflow of our affections for God because of what he has done for us. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you no longer have to fear God's wrath. If you trust Him and what He accomplished for you on the cross, then you no longer have to fear His wrath. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, then you have real reason to tremble and to fear His wrath. Because it's real. But for those of us who are his children, who've been adopted, who've been redeemed, who've been set free, if you, if you have struggled with worship, maybe, maybe it's been tough for you, maybe it's, it's felt like a chore for you, well then, let's learn from this passage. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Maybe we're seeing ourselves too big if we're having trouble worshiping him we need to see ourselves rightly we need to see how small we are how totally undeserving we are i mean completely undeserving of his mercies and we need to see how big he is how awesome he is how incredible what he has done for us is and then worship will be the natural response to that. Mary saw herself as a servant who was undeserving of the Lord's favor. And because of that, she was led into a natural response of worship. Zechariah was humbled for nine months. He didn't speak because of his unbelief. But when God loosed his tongue, worship was the natural response to the mercy that God had showed him. We didn't deserve to be rescued. We didn't. God's, God would have been perfectly just in leaving us in our sin. But he didn't. And that's what Christmas is about. He He had to make the ultimate sacrifice in order to rescue us, and he did. That's what the gospel is all about. And the gospel leads us into real, authentic worship.
Jesus came. He took the punishment that we deserved on the cross. He defeated our enemy. He set us free from slavery to sin. He rose from the grave and he offers us new life. Cleansing us of all of our unrighteousness. And this should lead us to worship. So we have a chance now to do that in response. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And I, my, my challenge is, is just this. Just, just think on these things. Let the gospel stir genuine worship in you. Don't sing the words half-heartedly or without thinking about what you're saying. But let's worship God with sincere hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beautiful snow and, and for every person that was able to make it here this morning. God, we want to, we want to worship you. We want to worship you from the heart. We want it to be, to be real and genuine. We want it to be in spirit and in truth. Heart and head. God, we, we ask that, that you would help us. We are but dust. Spirit, I ask that you would just blow through this room. Just move among us. Stir our hearts. Point us to these truths, to the gospel. And Lord, beyond this morning, as we go from here and as we are going about our, our normal daily routines as we're shoveling tons and tons of snow. We just ask that you would help us to do it with a heart of worship, just focused on you, glorying in what you've done for us. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for paying the price for us with your life. We worship you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.